listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. I'm Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom McLean. I'm Tom Lang. And I'm Evie. And we've got Isaac in our headphones, fact-checking and revealing that altogether, guys, we've recorded 52 episodes in the 12 months to December 2020, with an additional 26 already recorded this year, adding to the 12 recorded overnight, bringing our total number of episodes ever recorded to 34 uh, look, I, I realise I'm no good at maths, but I like to think there is some sort of respect of STEM on this podcast. I also have a big announcement, guys. I'm now working for New South Wales Health, and I'm very excited to get into the comms department. I, I, I've got to admit, I haven't been following the New South Wales case numbers and that reporting so much, so I'm aware that, like... The math is really hard is absolutely the trope of the way that the the counts are recorded. But is like finishing a sentence halfway through without sort of dropping mm-hmm. or raising your inflection a, yes. a, a meme or is that a new Mitch twist that you're adding there? That's, that's a, I'm bringing that to the New South Wales Health Department. What we figured was we're getting too much flack for being definitive on our statements because journos <laughs> can go, hey, didn't you say this? So, if the recording states that like it sounds like I'm trailing off, I can just go, are you recording fucked up? <laughs> <laughs> So deeply disoriented. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it a lot. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I wasn't expecting to fuck up McLean so much with that. I'm happy about that. That's caused me genuine psychic damage. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Oh, I'm, I'm off for the rest of the pod. Cheers, guys. My work here is done. He's gonna t- like try to edit this bit at least five times and be like completely disoriented every single time. <laughs> The, the country's in lockdown, but independently this time. I just think it is the general vibe of, of of the entire country getting to know what Victoria has gone through in the past, except now it's all over the country where everyone's going to lockdown. It's like, cool, this is just going to keep happening forever, isn't it? Yep. This is just our lives now. That's a real thing, hey, of people from Melbourne being like, finally, they understand the pain of lockdown. And it's like, one, it's a two-week lockdown. And, and we were locked down for months. They have no idea. But also, it's no, nah, it's fucked. Like I don't, I don't have to go through suffering and then see somebody else suffering and being like, but in a way, that's good though. Hey, because mm. now they like, no, that sucks. It does suck. I'm sorry, Sydney. It fucking sucks. We don't have to take the Mother Teresa response to fucking statewide lockdowns. It's like, yeah, it sucks for you guys, but now you're learning compassion. No, it's just shit. Yeah. The only people I want to see suffer are the people who make decisions about other people's suffering. Like when Boris Johnson got COVID, that was good (laughs) because he went, oh, this is important. I shouldn't have let everyone die. Um, And, for example, if we could lock Scott Morrison in his house for six months, um, maybe he'd understand. Yeah, or maybe if we could lock Scott Morrison in, like, offshore detention for eight years and deny (laughs) medical treatment, maybe then he'd understand, or even better, die. (laughs) (laughs) Hang on, hang on, I'm just getting a knock at our door. Uh, Oh, it's the ADF? Uh, uh Uh-oh. I didn't say that anybody should kill Scott Morrison. I was just saying that maybe if he was a victim of his own policies, he would die like the other victims of his policies did, and there would be a kind of justice in that. Only a right. metaphorical, poetic justice, not a literal justice. It would be very, very bad if Scott Morrison died. I'm just saying that if he did, that bad thing would be good. 
No, no, I understand because some sacrifices are necessary for the economy and <laughs> the security of Australia. Sorry, am I getting too mm. too deathy for this early in the pod? Yeah, usually we need to provide a bit of reasoning. <laughs> I think we should get into why we're feeling so dark first thing in the afternoon, and that is yeah. because uh, Sydney is currently experiencing their first lockdown in quite some time. Um, mm. They, you know, they've sort of had cases and not shut down entire cities or, you know, areas um, at all. But this is the first time since the start of the pandemic that they've actually announced that now that they're going to have a two-week lockdown. So there's nearly triple-digit cases at the moment. They haven't called it a lockdown because I think that only applies to the Melbourne region. Um, I'm not <laughs> sure what... Uh, what sparkling what confinement city- are we... Yeah, oh, Gladys, so Gladys Berejiklian <laughs> has... Has called it like uh, stay at home orders or or but it's fucking lockdown. It's lockdown, unless she has used the word lockdown. But she was definitely avoiding that, like like Keith Pitt avoids the word battery. Um, <laughs> and they tried to do that thing for a little while that Victoria tried a while ago and didn't work. Where you're like, oh well, this postcode is locked down and this one isn't. And if you cross the street twice a day, then you've you've got to think about whether you have a vibe that you should stay at home. But now they've just gone, no, everyone in Sydney is in lockdown. Uh, The other thing that, like, really uh, made me quite sad is that one of the people who was involved in this outbreak Mm. is a limo driver who said when he was discovered to have COVID that even though he was eligible for the vaccine, he felt like he shouldn't get it because he was a bit scared of the vaccine because Mm. of reporting on it saying that it was not safe. So now the chickens are starting to come home to roost in Australia. So, but but he was someone who the they tried to find a reason to arrest him um, because he was like not wearing a mask or he was he was going to work while not feeling great, and then they realised that they couldn't arrest him because they never actually made regulations against doing that. And also, like not wearing a mask isn't a crime. Like even if it's well, not, well, even if it's in a public health order, you can't just keep on throwing cops at the problem. Evie, sure, Evie's sure, getting sure, all sure, sovereign citizen about the whole thing. You <laughs> cannot take my face what away. He's crying. He went to get a succulent yeah. Chinese meal. <laughs> yeah, I mean they can make it illegal. Yes, but. here's the thing: they can make it a crime. And in a state of like, if you're like, oh, we've got this horrible thing that's going to kill people, you can absolutely make that kind of thing a crime. Like not wearing a seatbelt is a crime. You can be arrested and fined for that. But New South Wales didn't effectively regulate these things because that would be addressing it at a system level. (laughs) That would be putting rules in place. And they didn't want to do that. They just wanted to leave it with the vibe and have some guidelines. But then we had people breaking guidelines because they're guidelines. They're not enforceable. And then they went, wait a minute. You can't break a guideline. You just don't follow it. Right. (laughs) It's a guide. Um, They don't follow the guide. And then people go, well, now we want to punish individuals for something that we, as the people in charge of the system, would have prevented. Oh, we can't because he didn't break a rule. And so I love New South Wales Health Minister Brad Hazard. (laughs) That's his name. Which is a cool (laughs) name, but he's not a cool guy because he said... Drivers and workers who are picking people up from the airport have very clear guidelines expressed by the police to them through management. It's disappointing that apparently a small number did not comply. Now, that's the most you can do with a guideline is be disappointed. You can call the police and they can be disappointed at you. But he said, you cannot legislate for stupidity. 
We have now put in very hard laws for those who do not want to comply with the common sense guidelines. So apparently you can legislate for stupidity. It's called a law. (laughs) What a waste of space. It's also the fucking case that, like, you you can't really legislate for stupidity because people who don't understand it will still break the legislations that you've put down because that's that's the exact problem. The way that you, you know, quote unquote, legislate <coughs> for stupidity is with a, a sort of very thorough public education campaign, yes. which the government's also fucked up. Like we, we do legislate for stupidity. We do all the time. We have speeding laws. We have drink driving laws. We have seatbelt laws. We have all these laws to stop stupid people hurting people around them. And not, not to go all sovereign citizen again, but I really, I very, very <laughs> strongly believe that um, legislating for masks being worn is a terrible idea that is not at all comparable to like, you know, drink driving or speeding or anything like that. And I actually agree with like McLean's take that this could have been avoided if through a good public health program. And also he would be vaccinated. He'd be fucking vaccinated. None of this would have happened if there was good public health education. Instead, we have fucking Norman Swan telling it. I was like talking about how every single vaccine is bad. Now Pfizer has problems too, like in like one in a million cases, and he's going to go on about that too. Oh my god! I think the the mask thing depends who you are. I think if you're someone in a high risk situation, like healthcare or moving people around at the airport you probably should have to wear a mask. And if you're found not wearing a mask in a high-risk situation, you should have some kind of repercussions for that because you're putting people at risk. It's also pretty, like, fun coming from Gladys Berejiklian to to be like, oh, look, the guidelines to wear a mask aren't enforceable, but really we should find something to put the limo driver away for because, you know, he did he clearly broke a rule and he, that's that's not good. And so even though he didn't break the letter of the law, he really should face a punishment for that. And this is from Gladys Berejiklian, who earlier this year was like, yes, I engaged in pork barreling to get my <laughs> seat, but that's not illegal. Oh. Yes, that's yes, it. That's absolutely. She's openly the- corrupt within exactly those same. Well, not exactly the same guidelines. Obviously, there's, there's not public health guidelines that stop politicians <laughs> from being corrupt. But it's not fucking any guidelines that stop politicians from being corrupt, is it? Because they're all bloody ah. <laughs> that one is directly is- comparable to um, Richard Pusey, who um, was in court uh, a couple of months oh, yeah. ago. Um, that's for- the guy who took the photo of the dying police officer. After not the, just dying, but uh, not just accident. photo. He took video. Oh, of the dying police officers. And mm. the thing is that there isn't a crime against filming dying police officers, um, but mm. they really tried hard to dig back into common law to find a crime to convict him of, despite being on, like, you know, in court for a variety of other crimes that he also committed that day. So, but it, the, the biggest crime of all was being mean to police. Like, the dude is a dickhead, but man. What was the thing that they ended up pinning him with him? Like, a, a, a outraging public decency? That's yeah. the one, Yes. Like the, oh, it is a just a classic example of even when there isn't a crime to break, police will definitely find a way to create an offence being committed. Yeah, we can't it's... pin anything on Barnaby Joyce. <laughs> I think it's a I think it's a real thing. Like I mean, I, it is a, 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 the act of a sick mind to hmm. just leisurely film a dying person for you know. Oh, look at this interesting content like that. That is terrifying. Like that, yeah. I, I'm not happy with that sort of person yeah. in society. 
the end. <laughs> it's it's genuinely really fun. But the thing is, we already have laws about not helping people when they are dying. Mm. If he taking off from the scene, not trying to render assistance, if like all that sort of stuff, you can get him on already. Coked out of his mind or something, wasn't he? He was, he was, he was very drunk. And yeah, I, I do think that there is a case to be made that he offended public decency. Whether that should be a crime or not, I'm not sure. I think maybe filming people dying... It feels like it should be a crime, but then again, I'm all for cop abolishment. So it's a weird thing to talk about. Like, what? I mean, why are we yeah, have that, that's, that's pretty thing. much me. Is, is like, the- he's a shit dude, but you can't incriminate being a shit dude. I think yeah. that's the thing. Is is the 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 punishment for filming a dying person to make some interesting content should be. Everyone fucking knows that you did that. Yeah. yeah. I think that's a pretty good punishment. You don't need a further punishment. Just I, I think next time I'm at a party and I, I meet a guy called Richard Pussy, I'll be like, wait, the guy who filmed the, the dying people? I'm you know, I'm yeah. gonna go check over what's on the, uh, the other side of the party. Yeah. Horrifying. <laughs> oh no, it's Ben Robert Smith. <laughs> <laughs> Why am I anyway, at this shit party? He is a guy who knows how to party. <laughs> <laughs> He's got that big leg. <laughs> Anyway, we're getting away from the point, which is basically like if there is a situation in which, you know, police will find that there isn't a crime where they personally feel upset about it, they will definitely find whatever means they can to make it a crime. Yeah, and it's an amazing counterpoint to like when powerful people do stuff that is horrifically bad and hurts many people, they get away with it because they'll find a way out of that crime. I'm going to just put on the, the, the worst predictive hat that's ever been put on uh-huh. and say that one thing that I do think about when people talk about like, oh, you know, it's an outrage to public decency to, to film somebody dying is I have seen far more videos this and last year of police killing people like, you know, uh, the 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 um, mm. I can't breathe video and that like, you know, police actions against people that they're arresting or brutalizing or whatever that have resulted in that person's death. Mm. That I think if we had a law on the books that was like, you can't film somebody dying, that Mm. would be deployed to put somebody who filmed a cop killing somebody into prison on those grounds. Absolutely. That that makes me feel horrible. So, I mean, getting back to the New South Wales in lockdown thing, um, things that I wanted to sort of point out at the very least... um, and just bring attention to, as we usually do on the podcast, about how shit the media is and how the media works with the Liberal government and all that sort of stuff, is stuff we've touched on is just the inane reporting on the Sydney lockdown and how it seems really fucking obvious that Liberal Party, the Liberal Party is working with the media on shit. Like, the, fuck, the one that got me is... Gladys Berejiklian clearly trying to score some sort of political points by having this weird wedding caveat on Mm. the lockdown. So, Mm. what was supposed to happen is from June 26, um, Saturday, Sydney, in lockdown. Ah, everything's locked down. Only can't leave home for any reason. Unless you're having a wedding on Sunday, that can still go ahead. And she's quoted as saying, it's because it lacks compassion and it's also not fair to cancel weddings. However, unfortunately, from Monday, weddings can't take place and they're cancelled. Like, what the- what? It's not like people that have weddings on Mondays are sick freaks. <laughs> like, it, 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 it lacks compassion the whole time and it's not fair to cancel weddings. It's super not fair to arbitrarily not cancel weddings a day after a lockdown, but a day before any other day. Like, what? It's just- it was- 
it was weird that they made such a point of that during her press conference. It's like it's a it's a public health response. Yeah, yeah. You shouldn't be. Yeah. What's it kind of sucks about to get COVID at your prioritizing wedding. wedding? Like it's such a strange piece of logic. It, yeah. It's, um, it's uniquely the- intended to make like you know give like a little compassionate angle of yeah. well we understand that it's bad for everyone but here's this one exception that shows we're not total monsters. But it's like that doesn't really even make sense in the context of all of it. Like no. if I was if I was someone who had a, a wedding planned for the weekend. I would be like, I don't want to be the guy who had a COVID wedding. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just because I had the exception in place, I definitely don't want to be the guy who had the COVID wedding. As someone who occasionally teaches primary school children, I know that once you make an exception for somebody, everyone is more angry. <laughs> because if I say, oh, this one wedding is okay, everyone's like, oh, Oh, but my wedding isn't. Well, yeah, now yeah. I'm even more pissed off than if every wedding was cancelled. It's like, oh, I had a funeral on Sunday. Does that count as a wedding? Because that's not good <laughs> enough for oh, you, Gladys. God. Just one more thing on this is when she says compassion, that actually reminds me of another thing recently where the Australian government talking about compassion used that as a reason to keep two young children locked <laughs> up uh, forever. Um, so that's interesting that 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 is an example of well there's different kinds of compassion and that is not a compassion we'll go for but a wedding in a Sydney COVID hotspot will allow that that's important for one day yeah for one um, day. yeah there's also the weird like manufacturing consent we've talked about some of this before we talk about it a lot there um, some places in the media are referring to Gladys as Australia's Iron Lady oh, yeah. after Margaret Thatcher which is appropriate because she is letting a lot of poor people die purely for the economy um, but like that's weird and insane to do she's not anything like Margaret Thatcher in a lot of ways she's worse but in a lot of ways she's kind of better too it's just she's a lady politician that's that's the thing that gets me is that they can't they can't compare her to Clinton or Jacinda Ardern so they're just sort of like oh who's someone what's another who, what's a cultural reference people will know Thatcher and the reporting's like why is she like Thatcher oh because she's uncompromising you know, that person that didn't do a lockdown for weeks and then finally did a lockdown but didn't call it a lockdown. That's a lot like uncompromising Margaret Thatcher. It's fucking, it's ridiculous. You know that time Gladys deployed death squads into Ireland? (laughs) (laughs) Um, The other thing as well, I alluded to it in the intro, but the thing that has been just blasting my mind apart and I haven't really seen much reporting on why it's happening is New South Wales Health's absolutely deranged reporting on the case numbers. I, it, it's it's a really old tactic to just try to bamboozle people into boredom with facts and figures so they mm. stop paying attention. I pulled a quote. It's one of my favourite ones of the reporting. And this is the thing. New South Wales Health report the numbers in a weird way. The media then also just reported in a weird way as well. The, the closest I saw was The Guardian being like, ha ha, I don't know what that means either. Ha ha. But like this, this quote, on Friday, New South Wales reported 11 new locally acquired COVID-19 cases in the 24 hours to 8pm on Thursday, six of which were announced on Thursday morning. A further 17 were reported overnight. They bring the total number of cases linked to the Bondi cluster to 65. What the fuck does that mean? That Why is even bother to nothing. give it like a staggered rollout? Like just give right? the number. Yeah, Thursday. It's 38. Done. I don't, I just, this weird, yeah. as, it's as if every single person, well, I mean, it's not as if, 
The rationale would be, as we announce, we record things and we put it out there and we want to make sure everyone's across all the information. But it's not. It is a deliberate tactic to make sure whenever we look at these things, people just go, ah, numbers as a bunch. That's what it's for. I don't don't quite buy that. They do that all the time. Media and I, government do that sort of shit all the time, and I sure. genuinely think it is I the same thing. I think here. so. I just don't think they're doing it with the case numbers. I think that, like, even Victoria's case numbers reporting is, like, yeah. theoretically fairly, fairly straightforward, but on the posts that are announcing what the daily case numbers are, there's always people complaining about, like, why didn't you report it this way? Why didn't you report yeah. it this way? But they, they, u- but they like, usually lead you know, with, why didn't you report that those people were in isolation before telling us there's eight new cases? In this instance, it's what do you mean? And New South Wales has now switched to a more Victorian-like system of just going, here's one number for the day. Yeah. yeah. And so that's what I mean is, like, if they were if they were meaning to bamboozle people, why wouldn't they keep doing it? Because they because like, now they've I, locked I think down. That they were just like, they lost. we have a new way of reporting it because Victoria's ways of reporting it always piss people off where- <laughs> If we hold on to the numbers long enough to get context, then the the numbers get leaked to the media contextless anyway. And people are like, why don't you tell us the numbers as soon as you know them? And mm. then when they tell us the numbers as soon as they know them, they're like, why didn't you give us adequate context? And it's like, because <laughs> we, we were figuring out what the context was. You said you wanted the numbers as soon as we know them. And so I reckon New South Wales is just like, yeah, let's try and give as much numbers as soon as we know them immediately, plus context as soon as we have it immediately in the same sort of like garbled mishmash message now. And people, instead of being like, why didn't you say as soon as you knew? Or why didn't you give a context? They're just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, McLean, that makes so much sense. I can definitely see that. And, <laughs> and so they tried that for like a week and they're just like, oh, actually, fuck it. You're just getting a number. I don't know. Nah, I'm too cynical. I, I, I don't reckon we'll ever know for sure. I, I just I just disagree. I reckon it's a deliberate effort to obfuscate the numbers. I No, I actually don't think that because New South Wales health is very different to the New South Wales government. I think yeah, they're the I gold would standard. actually... That, no, 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 but like uh, just <laughs> fuck gold standard or whatever. I just like... I'm, I As someone who has lived in both states, I'm fucking jack tired of like all this state rivalry. I don't give a fuck. I just yeah, care. Yeah, better. <laughs> I just really... Uh, it, it is such a distraction force to the entire thing. New South Wales health is very different to the New South Wales government. I actually think New South Wales health has been doing a pretty good job of trying to do testing, of trying to, like, you know, I actually completely agree with McLean in that, yes, it is very confusing how they've said it, but they are trying to give context in an immediate fashion and they're probably not going to get it right. It will take a little time to get, like, you know, to be able to convey that. I think that the daily infection numbers and that sort of thing are genuinely, you know, they're actually complicated. It's an actually complicated scenario. And Mm. I I think that it's really like you can simplify stuff, but when you simplify something that's actually a complicated thing, you can't really actually simplify it. You can just hide that complexity. And when you've got a situation where everybody really, really wants to know and also everybody is really, really upset and also a lot of people are pretty dumb – you can sort of present the numbers with the complexity hidden away and that would just make people be like, why are you hiding the complexity? (laughs) Or you can present it with the complexity and confuse people. It's a really, really difficult needle to thread. I think that New South Wales Health is trying to do that and I don't think they're doing a great job of threading that needle, but I think that they're just trying to do something that is complicated and difficult in a situation that is 
bad uh, for hard. everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And they're also trying to do it using the worst website in the world, Twitter.com. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> trying to do it using, like, trying to convey this information through Twitter is the worst idea in the world, but here we are. And th- another thing that I think about when you're trying to convey potentially complicated and highly emotionally charged public health information is that numerous times in the last year there have been instances where the circumstances of the infection or where an infected person was has been incorrectly reported in the first instance or Mm. someone has been reported as a positive and then on the second test it turned out to be a false positive. So you don't want to alarm people straight away. You just want to say, hey, by the way, these people have tested positive. It's in this context. They were in this situation. And that I, I actually understand, like, I've come to appreciate how difficult that is to report without a million people going, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. It's, it's almost like, like, fundamentally, the people don't want a case number. They want any number that tells them how scared they should be. Yeah. And, you know, if there was a way to just come up with a number that's just like, out of 10, you should be seven scared that, that people <laughs> could actually rely on. I think that people would be happy with that. <laughs> but we obviously don't have that kind of number because, that, that it's, you know, it's a fanciful idea. And so they're trying to sort of substitute this how scared you, should you be with case numbers. And I, even the how scared you should be is trying to be a proxy for how careful should I be. The answer of which is very. <laughs> yes. So, uh, and like, uh, I don't know. without I, yeah. like, you know, trying to say that Australians are pussies and we should harden the fuck up. Um, <laughs> you know, we've all been through a lot in the last year. You know, our perspective of what a scary number is or a scary situation is vastly different to the rest of the world. Um, I, like, mm. I know everyone has probably had a group chat going um, over the last year where when a when you've had an outbreak. In the morning, someone's like, okay, so what's the magic number today? What is the number that is going to make me feel better about my current situation? And, you know, it's usually a single digit or zero digit number. <laughs> um, but th- these are just the circumstances in which, in which we're in now. Like any number is going to make us upset. Mm. I think, look, my main takeaway from all of this, and I think it's something we said near the top, was just that this whole fuck up could have been avoided at least would have had a great chance of being avoided with a bit of better vaccine slash quarantine standards at a federal level. And it's kind of messaging. Yeah. Messaging and rules. And it's heartening to see people in the New South Wales government being like, well, we didn't have any fucking vaccines. Yeah. Um, And then, but the bloody prime minister, Scott Morrison has, has pushed back and been like, no, it's the New South Wales state government at fault because they haven't gotten the vaccines out there because they haven't put out like mandatory vaccine rules. He, it's, it's interesting to see him throw his own state premiers under the bus a little bit where he says like the doses were available. And on this case, the worker was not vaccinated and the New South Wales premier has made it clear they're investigating into that. And he also a couple of days said, if anyone can avoid lockdowns, it's the New South Wales like liberal government. <laughs> um, and so I always enjoy seeing him being wrong. Unfortunately, <laughs> in this case, he's wrong for a thing, which is unfortunate. I, this is actually, I've just, it's just occurred to me that. One thing that has allowed Australia to escape um, COVID-19 actually affecting us 
on a much, much larger scale is because uh, healthcare is decentralized in between the states and the states mm. have been able to do whatever they want without the instruction of Scott Morrison. Thank and I think God. that has actually it's saved the only us. thing that's helped us. Absolutely. Um, yeah. It is absolutely something that has saved us quite significantly because if healthcare was a national thing, I think we'd probably be in the same position as, say, the yeah. UK, where a conservative government has decided, like, you know, they decided it's a great cultural thing that they could use and a lot of people would get very sick or die as a result. However, this is also a situation in which Scott Morrison can get his own revenge in terms of the slow vaccine rollout, in which, you know, they can make, you know, bad agreements or bad contracts for vaccines and make really bad comments on a national level, and then they can blame the slow rollout or any sort of regulations about who can get vaccines on the states, even though it's a distribution thing. We saw this every time Victoria went into lockdown or anywhere, like, put up some border restrictions. You had the uh, coalition government saying, no, we can't be having these lockdowns. We've got to open back up. We've got to be getting back to work. Daniel Andrews is being crazy. Um and, and even with this recent mini Melbourne lockdown, they had the whole thing where they were like, oh, we can't give people bloody welfare because then the states will be able to lock down whenever they <laughs> want just to get welfare money and not have viruses. He's been anti any COVID restrictions for the longest time, except for the ones which stop brown people coming into the country. <laughs> but That's he's been. That, that yeah. was my final point, which is that um, it doesn't matter to him the hypocrisy of. There should be open state borders, but we'll never open the external borders. And we'll use exactly the same excuses to keep the external borders closed um, that we think are stupid excuses internally. So, you know, I, I hate banging on about this, but I really think this is the case where internally we'll have governments who eventually get sick and tired of having to lock down state borders and the federal government saying, you know, we won't give you any sort of um, compensation if you decide to close a lockdown and, you know, for any sort of outbreak reasons. But also we won't give you more vaccines. However, any Australian residents who want to go in and out of the country, good fucking luck because we're never opening up those borders for the rest of, like, the next four years because of variants or whatever. and But somehow those variants don't matter inside the country. Like, do you see the, the, like the, the, the discrepancy in the way that they constantly give those messages? Apparently those don't matter within the states, but we can't let anyone back into the country because we can't let any of those variants in. So what's your point? <sighs> stupidest country in the world. The stupidest country. <laughs> oh, there's some tight competition. Oh. There's some tight competition. <laughs> ah, fucking petty and mean and just dreadful. Yeah, looking at you, Portugal. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know anything about Portugal's politics. No, neither. I'm just (laughs) picking a country at random. Eileen, let's move on to something a little bit different. Why don't you tell us about Susan Lee? (laughs) (laughs) This goes with that. It's Susan Lee's fucked up name. Um, And we're allowed to pick on it. We're allowed to pick on her name. You're not allowed to pick on most people's names. But you're allowed to pick it on Susan Lee's name because she chose it for herself. She changed her name from the standard Susan into Susan um, with a double S in the middle because of numerology. Uh, and, 
and I don't want to. I don't want to pick on people who believe in numerology. I, I do really, really want to pick on people who believe. <laughs> in numerology. So do I. But I'm not going to. I'm not going <laughs> to. A hasty pod back. I'm not there. going to. Um, I'll, all I'll say is this is just the dumb kind of shit a Sagittarius would do. <laughs> I, I think it's, it's it's also worth pointing out as well that. Um, she changed her name because of a misunderstanding of <laughs> numerology. Yeah. It was a misunderstanding. Hang on. I don't understand. Yeah, it's a misunderstanding of a fake idea. But yeah. Like, whether, whether the numerology is accurate or not, she thought that putting that third S in would make her life more interesting and cool. And I guess it is kind you know of interesting because we're talking about her on a podcast. I, I do <laughs> love from the article about why she changed her name for numerology reasons. It, it's, it, it's got a bit... Sounds bizarre, right? According to Chris Basil, Australia's leading numerology feng shui and colour expert. No. <laughs> <laughs> that rules. That absolutely rules. Of course, you, you, well, you've got to cite an expert in the article, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> you can't just throw bullshit out there. <laughs> <laughs> Are you actually being good journalists for once? Yeah. Someone who knows what they're talking about. <laughs> now they bother to find a fucking expert. Numerology. <laughs> I just want to say... As, as 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 a podcast that is interested in the news and accurately reporting the news, Susan Lee, please text me your place of birth and the time of your birth so I can do your charts. Are you hitting on Susan Lee? No, no. I'm t- I, no, those are really important because otherwise she can't do an astrology chart. I need to know if we're compatible. She's a Sagittarius. It's not just her being a Sagittarius. We need to know yeah, whether she's rising? like a Capricorn rising or something like that. Mm. Yeah, we totally do. <laughs> Susan Lee, we're also going to need your mother's maiden name and your the name of your first three pets. Yeah, what first? What street did you first live on as well, Susan Lee? It's very important for numerology or whatever shit you think. <laughs> Please. Send us a scan of your driver's license as well. She just changed it so she could write her name out with a second cool S. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Just feels I, I think someone did that. Uh, uh, one of our, our, our listeners, Matt, drew Susan Lee with the cool S. No. Let's put that in the show notes. I preemptively <laughs> had my joke sniped. Matt, oh. <laughs> <laughs> you made me quit the podcast. Matt. <laughs> Matt, you're on next week. Buckle up. I just put it in the chat. <laughs> Oh, what? I hadn't seen that. Fuck. <laughs> it does look better. It does look better. Oh, fuck that S is cool. Anyway, let's get on with the environment. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to just pick on Susan Lee because she has dumb ideas about numerology or because she picked her job from one of those origami future finders. I want to pick on her mostly because she's a monster who is destroying the earth. You might remember a couple of weeks ago, she was told by a federal court after a lengthy case that she has a duty of care to actually think about the children of Australia, which you'd think would be obvious, being the Minister for Friggin' Environments, that her job is to maybe protect the environment, which by default is looking after the people who will live on the earth in the environment. But she actually thinks no. She does not have a duty of care to look after the children. She just barges in, hold on a second. You guys are saying that I have a duty of care, but isn't the proverb, won't someone think of the children? Won't someone? (laughs) Um, If you do want to hear all about that, uh, episode 74, we had legal expert Lauren on to talk about it. Care of duty, modern lawfare, one of our best title names as well. Go listen to that episode (laughs) now and then come back to this one. And it was the kind of court case which seems like it's it's dealing with something obvious. It's saying, hey... (laughs) (laughs) Australian ministers in charge of stuff should be thinking about the people of Australia. But apparently that is, that's crazy. Susan Lee said, I didn't agree with the judgment. 
that's the first point I want to make and then went on to say some other bullshit. I fucking love that. Yeah. The, the, the idea that you can get a federal court ruling yeah. and you can be like, I don't agree with that judgment. They do it all the time. Are you a federal court judge? Yeah. Is that- <laughs> who was the, who was, which was the guy that fucking kidnapped someone and the courts were like, it's highly legal, you can't do it. And he came out and just went, oh, I don't agree. Yeah, Al- it was Alan Tudge. Alan Tudge, you oh. fucking dirty demon, horrible piece of shit. <laughs> you dog. <laughs> dirty dog, Alan Tudge. <laughs> he was last season's villain. So- <laughs> um, so, and that's the thing. If only society had people which we chose to make judgments, like a judge of some sort. <laughs> So, whatever. She reckons she doesn't have to think of the children. I mean, that was pretty obvious by her actions. Um, Which, this week, she vetoed a big energy development in the Pilbara because she thinks it would harm uh, habitat and native species. Which, okay, sure, I guess that's the kind of thing she should be doing. Um, This is pretty crazy, though, because Susan Lee generally friggin' just has a rubber stamp sitting on her desk that Santos can walk in and use any time they want. (laughs) And she fucking hates native species. She said there would be... (laughs) Clearly unacceptable impacts. It would disrupt tidal movements and processes, and this would seriously impact the habitats and life cycles of the native species dependent upon the wetland, and accordingly, the ecological character of the 80-mile beach Ramsar site itself. Wow, Susan Lee, those are some pretty cool words. Um, but it turns out this is a renewable... development and i'm not gonna like obviously renewable development still you've got to think about how they'll affect the environment because they do it require infrastructure and construction and resources and stuff like that but she never fucking does this for fossil fuels (laughs) it's so fucking brazen it's so just ah like if if it was inconsequential i would fucking respect it it's not it's gonna kill us but like oh just imagine the whole like approved 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 oh hang on a second the ecological impact here is gonna be horrible what's it for (laughs) it's like solar and wind power and a whole bunch of cool shit (laughs) yeah it's fucking insane this is a a big important solar wind hydrogen thing um Doing the stuff that the government keeps saying they want to do, like being a an, a renewable energy hydrogen export superpower, um, this is this is a government. Uh, this is a project that was given major project status by the government last year. Um, this was one that was approved by the EPA, um, and this is in contrast with the twenty one offshore gas <laughs> drilling sites that the government approved last week. Those were fine. Five kilometers away from the 12 Apostles Marine site, fine. But this one big ass renewable site, no way. No way. This really pisses me off. Um, and, and I'm not going to say that, yeah, like I, I said that before, obviously renewable sites have to be considered, um, in their environmental impact, but it's insane that this is the only kind of site the federal government seems to think could have a problem like keith pitt a while back we talked about it he said oh no this wind turbine thing this is no good but you would never hear a federal minister like this say oh no coal oh definitely not because she didn't even like go through the uh the normal process she vetoed this in advance of the impact modelling being completed and with zero what consultation. The fuck? Oh my god. What the yeah. fuck? She was just like, don't even think about it. Yeah. Don't even run the numbers. Oh my this, god. This is gonna be shit, I can tell. Don't mm-hmm. even run the numbers that I'm not gonna look at, but that I can at least point to as some sort of proof of anything. She was just like, no, fuck no. Yeah. 
Holy don't even shit. run the numbers. Says Australia's leading numerology expert. Surely she wants the numbers run all the time. <laughs> we need to pitch it as solar power. And and so there's a few other things she's done recently because actually just Susan Lee is now my new enemy. Um, uh, I, I was not didn't know who she was a year ago, and now I hate her. Um, <laughs> she she used her National Press Club speech last week. Um, she talked about a couple of things, but. But one of the things she really pointed out was she's like, I am putting the solar energy industry on notice so that they work out like a recycling program for their panels. Because these these panels at the end of their 30 year lifespan are going to be a real problem mm. environmentally. And 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 look, that's fair. Uh, solar panels do have to be recycled. Um, we do need to, a way to do that. It's going to be something that we need to seriously consider. But in terms of Australia's waste. And definitely in terms of Australia's environmental problems, solar panel disposal is not up there. You know what's up there is fossil fuels. We don't even have a recycling plan for recycling, <laughs> yeah. as far as I'm aware. No. That's fine. Did we used to export it all to China, and then China was like, we don't want it anymore. And so now we're like, cardboard and glass, hey, let's put that in an yeah. infinitely large amount of warehouses and yep. leave it for the future. Yeah. Let's put the solar panels there. I've got a plan. Put the solar panels in the warehouse with the cardboard and the glass. Solved, Susan Lee. Approve the fucking development. Yeah, remember when we found out last year when, like, um, mm-hmm. all the garbage places went on strike, and then we realised, <laughs> oh, shit. No one's actually yeah. recycling this. It's all just going into a big dumpster in China. Oh, yeah. okay. I guess we'll just sit on that information and wait till it starts up again instead of like right. developing like recycling plants in Australia. I mean, Susan Lee could have been working on that. She could be working on all our e-waste, all our other <laughs> stuff. No, she only hates renewables. Oh, don't forget another Susan Lee special. She was personally responsible for the Jabwarung birthing trees, one of them being destroyed last year. Yeah. Oh. She thought that was fine. Right. She thought that was fine. She was she was the minister that went, I understand these are significant. Burn them. Yeah. <laughs> she, she is personally responsible for the destruction of an incredibly culturally and historically significant natural artifact in Australia. Mm. And for that, it, it's just... At that point, it's like a soul-damaging crime. <laughs> that that alone would be enough. However, <laughs> she just keeps on going with it. Can't be stopped. Uh, she's also in response to the New South Wales mouse plague, uh, talking about deploying br- bromodialone. Mm. Oh God, it's got the, the. I didn't. I've never read that out loud. The the poison <laughs> name has dialone at the end of it. Anyway, um, that, that's, that's <laughs> <laughs> the, the, there's been talks of like. How do we deal with the mouse plague? Mm. And some people have been like, why don't we deploy big amounts of poison all over the place? And uh, sort of environmental groups have been like, no, that's, that poison has been banned because if we do that, it will sort of kill a lot of stuff beyond the, mi- the mice and, yeah. uh, you know, have sort of devastating effects to the ecology for, you know, decades to come slash forever. And Susan Lee's like, devastating effects to the ecology for decades <laughs> to come slash forever, you say? That's my kind of news. Let's get that poison out there. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not a big big fan of, of poison in any kind of pest control because it does tend to get into the environment and, like, fuck up the bees and stuff. But even in terms of poisons, this is a bad one. Like, farmers are able to use lots of poisons but they're not allowed to use this because not only does this kill mice and anything else that eats it, but then the things that eat those mice and then the things that eat the things that eat those mice. And so basically it's like, let's think about everything that eats mice 
oh, it's fucking everything. It's <laughs> owls and snakes and native uh, quolls. Maybe there's quolls there. Not yeah, anymore. Me on a yeah, me. Night. Damn it. I was gonna- <laughs> you sniped it. McLean, you've taken my spot on the pod. <laughs> there's been multiple instances of Labradors and stuff who've eaten a little mouse or a cat. Um, And these poisons are so nasty. So just, yeah, if you've got mice, try not to use poisons just of any sort. They're very unpleasant. But we're not done with Susan Lee. There's... <laughs> you might have heard the Great Barrier Reef is in trouble. Have you heard this? Have you have you seen this? Uh, the Great Barrier Reef. <laughs> didn't, didn't the government give four hundred million dollars to the yeah, yeah, Great yeah. Barrier Reef Foundation to help save it a couple of years ago? Yeah, because it's in trouble. Um, everybody knows it's in trouble. Every, the smallest child, you know, smarter dogs. Everyone knows the barrier. <laughs> the very sick mouse is aware of it. Right. The sick mouse is like, ah, oh, you know, now I know how the barrier reef feels. <laughs> but it's even Pauline Hansen. No, no, she doesn't. No, she was the denialist. We'll cut yeah, that no, bit. she was. Um, she, she got into she the water and she was just like, nah, it looks good to me in this one patch. So the whole reef <laughs> yeah, is fine. up for me. <laughs> so everyone except Pauline Hansen. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's been bleaching for ages. Every scientist, every environmental body around the world, because this is the largest, most significant reef slash living natural structure in the world. Um, everyone knows it's in trouble. But Susan Lee was blindsided by a report from UNESCO. That's the, the word she used. Blindsided. <laughs> Fuck off, That it be put on the list of World Heritage Sites that are in danger. What? what? In danger? Why did nobody tell me? The Environment Minister. The Great Barrier Reef is in danger? <laughs> it's half dead, Susan Lee. <laughs> well, this is the first I've heard of it. Blindsided yeah. by this three-week-old corpse in my lounge room. What the fuck? <laughs> this is just the larger thing of, like, whenever a serious... Um, break needs to be hit on any sort of damaging thing to the environment there's always the kicking the can down the road like you think of climate targets being kicked down from like i remember when i was a teenager the targets at that time were 2020 because it sounded like a nice round number and here we are in 2021 fighting about these same targets being hit in 2050 we've kicked the can down around another like 25 30 years and the same thing has happened with this, where she could act, oh, no, I had no idea that the reef is nearly dead, even though it's, like, right. literally decaying before her eyes. <laughs> it's her government that's been kicking it. They just have a little, you know, meeting at the start of the year that's just going to be like, all right, so whose turn is it this year to say, the Great Barrier what? Susan <laughs> 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 yeah. Lee's like, oh, yeah, I'll say anything. I'm evil. <laughs> Puts her hand up. So Susan Lee said, because because... Everyone in the government is in in the federal government is really pissed off about this because the idea of some foreign body saying our reef is in danger, how dare you disparage our reef? She said Team Australia should be backing our reef, and I call on the Labor Party to be part of that. It's like Susan Lee, we're not picking on the reef. We don't think the reef is not doing an, a good enough job. We're picking on how you're taking care yeah, of it. The UNESCO didn't say the reef sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Kangaroos are shit, eh? Fuck to the reef. <laughs> That's going to be excised out of this pod as like an out of context quote from me saying, fuck you to the reef. Fuck. Yeah, <laughs> fuck you to the reef. That's the episode title. Get fucked, Great Barrier Reef. <laughs> Give it a miss, tourists. It's boring. Team Australia swear. should be backing our reef and I call on the Labor Party to be part of that. Mm. What and does that mean? I swear this is the kind of shit the government has done on lots of stuff before, is when someone says this is a problem, they go, how dare you? 
You know, yeah. oh, unemployed people need more money. How dare you suggest unemployed people aren't doing well enough? They're trying their best. Yeah, they need help. You know? Yeah. <laughs> this is like, if, if I go to the doctor and the doctor's like, I'm sorry, but your wife has cancer. I'm go- How dare you? She's a wonderful lady. <laughs> <laughs> Besmirch her on a bio. That's a Implying that she say. has cancer. No, I haven't implied that she has cancer. She has very bad cancer. Here's a she scan. She oh, How dare you? <laughs> um, but the really just shocking thing about this is that the government knows this so well because, yeah, the Reef Foundation they established. Oh, no, they they... There was an already existing little tiny reef science company thing with like the 10 people working there or whatever. They threw half a billion dollars at them. You probably remember this. It was a pile of bullshit. We probably talked about it in our, yeah, in our it podcast. Turned out most of those people had tight connections to the fossil fuel industry. They had no way to use half a billion dollars. Um, uh, and this came out in Senate estimates. Just a few days ago, Green Senator Peter Wish Wilson, who I haven't come across before, but seems like he might be a cool guy. Yeah, he's cool. He grilled the uh, Australian National Audit Office. Um, they can conf- I don't know how hard he grilled them, but he got them to confirm that the original <laughs> motivation for this $444 million grant was to avoid the UNESCO danger listing for the reef. He put this to the <laughs> Department of the Environment, who grudgingly confirmed it. So the government established this uh, this grant to avoid this danger listing. Um, obviously, the grant did nothing, so the problem got worse. Now we have the danger listing. <laughs> now, it obviously would be a huge tragedy if the Barrier Reef were to die. Yeah. Um, because, as Terry Butler for the Labour Party says... Uh, you know, we'd lose a lot of jobs. That's the important thing oh, for the Labour Party. <laughs> the Morrison government needs oh to do God. more to fight for the reef and the 64,000 jobs it supports. That's her That's her stance. Yep. Think of the jobs again. I'm the joker uh, now. The most significant <laughs> ecological fucking under... Oh, God. Why is everything... I realise it's politically expedient to frame everything to what you perceive to be as your audience of idiots as everything is jobs and gross. But this is the Great Barrier Reef. Do you really need to put it in terms of $64,000 jobs? The fact that a national, like a natural feature of Australia that is important to the entire entire world is dying is not enough in itself. (laughs) But also... How politically expedient. They haven't been in power for fucking a decade. It's also no one gives a shit about Labor's jobs bullshit. It's so good. Labor's Labor's stance on the reef is like reefs in general support 25% of all marine life on the planet and 64,000 Aussie jobs. Sorry, I've just made my... Okay, I've really done the thing in my head just now where I've made up a guy to be mad at, but I've just made up a guy in my head who's from Labor, who when, like, you know, when Susan Lee decided um, to knock down the Jabberwum trees, I just made up a guy in my head who was like, what about all the jobs that are are keeping that tree alive? Yeah, oh, you mean road. Dan Andrews? You made up Dan Andrews. <laughs> I made up Dan Andrews. <laughs> but, but Dan Andrews knew full well that the Jabberong tree doesn't create jobs, and so he was like, "Go ahead." Yeah, like uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn the other way and fall down a flight of stairs while you guys are that tree. Ad hominem, Dan Andrews for being clumsy. <laughs> yes, and I'm tired of no one doing it. 
No, well, the real outrage from Labor here, obviously, <laughs> is that they don't give the fuck about the reef because they're pro-gas. No, they're pro-destroying the reef. They're pro, like, taking bits of coral and actively poisoning it. Yeah. Terry Butler's <laughs> there hanging out with Joel Fitzgibbon and bloody Madeline whatever her name is, who are both, like, yay gas, sharing hard hats and high vis among themselves for photo ops. <laughs> so they couldn't give the slightest shit about Terry them. Butler smearing coal all over her face like Matt Canavan. <laughs> <laughs> smearing coral on her face? <laughs> all these jobs. Oh, coral. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, she, Terry Butler has just cut her face up with this piece of coal. <laughs> Terry it Butler supports the gi- industries. Terry Butler with a giant jellyfish on her face saying support the room. It's <laughs> <laughs> a very weird bit. I don't even know. <laughs> What's Terry Butler got on her face for this photo? <laughs> also, I love how we're just picking on Terry Butler, who just was one Labour person who happened to do a tweet we hate. <laughs> because um, the Labour Party can do better. Not even involved with this at all. Fuck up, Labour Party. You can oppose shit. This is a very yeah. quick one. We weren't sure if we were going to get to it. But they did something good for once in their fucking miserable life. Angus Taylor has been trying to use uh, a whole bunch of funds for renewable energy to just buy fossil fuel shit and the Labour Party in conjunction with the Greens and a bunch of independent senators voted against it and they voted it down and now Angus Taylor has to come up with some other thing that the Labour Party will support in three weeks probably but still it was (laughs) I'll get you next time environment (laughs) (laughs) the Labour Party can actually do some opposing like if you're not going to be in power feeling for them (laughs) if you're not going to be in power at least oppose properly (laughs) That's the thing, and they've proven that they can. So this is why we go so hard on them all the time. Because, and this this is my fucking um, contention all the time. They voted against Angus Taylor's proposal because this time they knew they could get the numbers and they could get away mm. with it. They if if that wasn't going to happen, if a couple independents were like, "Nah, I reckon it'd be pretty good to buy fossil fuels with solar panel cash," they would have just gone, "Ah, oh, we're not happy about it. Oh, but we'll have to vote for it." But because they could get votes this time, they cynically went, yeah, fuck you, liberal. (laughs) Politics points, which is all it was. But still, they can do it. They've proven that they can do it. And yet, most of the government needs to do more to fight for the 64,000 jobs the Coral Reef supports. Well, because they were up against... um they were up against the Liberal Party, I think, some One Nation people and maybe an Independent. And on their side, it was was... The Greens, Labor, and maybe Jackie Lambie, and maybe another independent or two. And so that's, like, you can muster those people for pretty much any good thing Mm. if you can get Jackie Lambie on side. She's a bit of a loose cannon. Yeah, who's just a wild card. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, this is the kind of shit they should be trying to do every time instead of just go along with the fucking government. She's like, I'm on board, but racistly. (laughs) 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 Ah, dang it. (laughs) <laughs> Lamby, Lamby, <laughs> fucking hell! Yeah, look. So long as she votes the right way, we'll we'll take her votes, I guess. In Barnaby Joyce news, is Deputy Prime Minister again? Damn it! Shoutouts this week. 90 workers at the General Mills plants that uh, they're the producers of Old El Paso and a bunch of other things have been on strike since June 4th. And this week they won. Um, They won a pay rise. They won a bonus. They won a bunch of other concessions. And we just want to shout out every single one of those workers who took their and their family security and put it on the line and walked out of the job and went, 
to the bosses, fuck you, we deserve better, at risk of not having a job whatsoever. Mm. And that takes a fucking spine. That takes a lot of guts. And every time workers do that, it should be shouted out um, unless they're cops and part of the cop union. <laughs> well, cops aren't workers. But yeah, the workers at General Mills, they fucking, they stood up for what they believed was right and they went hard with it. They didn't back down and they won. And that's fucking amazing. So shout out to them. Considering yeah, how difficult amazing. it is to even go on strike in this country, it yeah. takes a spine yeah. of titanium to do that. And I really yeah. respect it. Mm. So if you're in the mood to celebrate, why not uh, tuck into uh, some uh, strong spine and guts by getting an old El Paso uh, <laughs> dinner kit? And- Probably because General Mills are actually um, facing uh, worker strikes all over the world at the moment because their conditions are super shit and you shouldn't support them anyway. But <laughs> these workers still have a job for a while. So until we tear down General Mills brick by fucking brick, good on the workers <laughs> that work for them. That's pretty good. Yeah. You, you, you're not a scab if you get it anymore. You're just like... Like maybe have uh, yeah, you're, you're just contributing taste. the normal amount of bullshit to our capitalist system <laughs> and hurting people, but the normal amount, not the bad amount, which hurts like particular Australians. <laughs> oh God! There are probably fuck. more ethical tortillas, but off the top of my head, I don't can, know. Can, a, can a workers collective please make those jumbo nacho flavored taco shells? Because I really don't want to buy the older Paso ones. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Not Good Enough. You can find us on the socials everywhere at Not Good Pod or shoot us an email at Not Good. No, I fucked it. I just, my brain just stopped working. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I didn't mention it all episode because of the blowback from last time, but guys, I am hung over. Oh. You can email us at notgoodpod at protonmail.com. It's an encrypted, super secret email. So send us gossip and stuff. We don't want real political secrets. We wouldn't know what to do from, with them, but like gossip from and shit. another Proton Mail account. <laughs> oh, email McLean. That Proton Mail account from a Gmail, it's not encrypted. Oh. Proton Mail to Proton Mail only. Oh. I, I wanted to sell people out for money. <laughs> you can still do that, Mitch. You still get that email. Once you've received the encrypted email, you can still send it on to anyone that you want. <laughs> it's not encrypted to you, Mitch. If you're happy to do a betrayal. <laughs> it's encrypted to other people. <laughs> it's wide open. <laughs> anyway, email us at the encrypted thing and we'll forward it straight to the feds because we're a CIA plant just like Bob Hawk. Peace out. <laughs> Not Good Enough is recorded on the lands of the Rwandri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay respect to their elders, past, present, and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded.